0: So if you've been paying attention to how we've been running through Ephesians, you'd think, okay, Pastor Wes is doing verse 8. He's not. He's going back to verse 1 because Pastor John took one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible and so I told Pastor John, fine, you can preach one through seven, but I'm going back and preaching one because it's my one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. I got like four verses that I that I like write on my wall. They're like in my phone, like reminders that pop up just with a Bible verse. I got four of them. And Ephesians 4.1 is one of my four. Um, and we're going to go through three of the four today. Uh, and let's face it, I'm going to sneak in the, fifth, the the fourth because I can't help myself. Um But uh, so since Pastor John actually did a fantastic job of breaking down context, he did a fantastic job of teaching you the history. He did a fantastic job of putting Ephesians 4, 1 to 7, not in a like sermon to pump you guys up, but actually what it means. I get to do a sermon to pump you guys up because you guys already know the context. Um, You guys already know all that. So I'm going to I'm going to talk on probably my own personal life. Um, A lot today. Um, I want to give you guys full disclosure. I don't normally do this. If my week's been crazy, I um, I just pretend like it hasn't been when I preach, and no one knows no better. Uh, But if you can tell, uh, my sermon's on a big pad, and that's (laughs) because it's it's been a crazy week. Uh, Our whole family was sick the entire week, and um, once we were finally feeling better, literally the day I told my wife, I'm gonna write my sermon this day. We woke up that morning. And I found out that a member of our family had passed away, yeah. um, and without going into details, because it's my wife's side of the family, so I'll let her share the details whenever she feels so inclined. Uh, but it's just it threw our week for a loop, and we haven't had a regular week. Um, and what's crazy about navigating through a regular week, or navigating through an irregular week, um, every excuse kind of pops up. Every, you know, using your terrible week as an excuse to not live to the standard God has for me. And this I'm going to say for me, but it's for us, right? For me, I think it's easy. And if I take shortcuts in tough seasons, I think people are so loving that it's like, yeah, yeah, well, of course. And it's like, but compromise is compromise. And uh, which is fantastic because Ephesians 4.1, if we can pull that up. Um, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. If you can leave that up for a second. Can can we, like, notice (laughs) that Paul is telling them to live a life worthy in the manner in which they were called. But I love the preface, as a prisoner of the Lord. Like, hey. As someone who's in prison because I've been living a life worthy of my calling. Live a life worthy of your calling. And notice what happens next is he begins to break down a ton of things. Pastor John covered last week. A ton of do this and do this and do this and do this. What I love is I feel like so often we look at churches and it's like as long as the pastor's living right and some of the leaders are living right, everyone else can live however they want. And when a pastor challenges people to live better, the response is typically negative, but you're just not very loving. But Paul in prison said, live like me. Yeah. Come on. Yep. It shifts the paradigm because the guy in prison is saying, no, no, I'm living like my calling. Are you living like yours? Come on. And what I love is, this is a bit of a spoiler for like 10 weeks from now, but Ephesians 5.1. What does he say? Yep. Pastor John, you prayed it this morning. Yep. He says, live like Jesus, right? Let me pull it up really quick, because there's an exact wordage that I really like. But he's saying, live like Jesus. Um, Ephesians, as you can tell, I didn't plan on writing this verse out. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Love that. He's like, live a life worthy of your calling, hey, while I'm in prison. And then it's like, and then in a chapter, he's going to escalate it. Well, don't just live like me. Don't just live a man that's worthy of your calling. Imitate God. Woo! Imitate the Father like children who emulate their Father. You know how often, I remember just recently, I was. we were kind of walking through um, an area, me and my son, and the area was kind of gravelly. And I was stepping, and then Titus was hopping along my footsteps. <laughs> Very adorable. We had to stop doing certain things in the house because when my son sees me do things that really aren't bad, but they're bad when you're two, and then he goes and does said thing. Um, <laughs> this is like mini TMI, but I, I, I love this story too much to not tell you guys, right? So I walked up recently past my wife, and she was picking something up off the floor. and I'm a man who loves his wife, so I spanked her. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. She speaks me too. Um, and the second I did it, Titus from the couch looked up, dropped his bottle, ran, and slapped her butt. So we don't do that anymore. <laughs> we don't do it when he's watching anymore. But children imitate their parents. How red's Rosavia's face. It's hard to tell because her hair's pink. Um, <laughs> um, but it'd be imitators. Live a life worthy. One of the consistent themes you'll see in scripture is actually a theme that we don't like talking about in church. And that is, yes, you are loved. You are forgiven. God will walk with us through our shortcomings and our struggles and our failures. But there is a standard. And we maybe don't talk about that enough. Like, What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of your calling? It means walk a certain standard. Be imitators of Christ. There's a standard to that. People be like, I just want to live like Jesus. It's like, get up every morning and pray before the sun comes up. That's what Jesus did. Oh, you really, you live like Jesus? When's the last time you went to a mountain for 40 days, fasted and prayed? I'll tell you what, I'm 28, and it's been more than 28 years since I've done that. (laughs) See, See, yeah, Jesus forgave the woman in adultery, but then he said, go and sin no more. See, a man walked up to Jesus and he says, I've kept the law. I've kept the prophets. What else must I do? And he says, sell all you have and follow me. And the man walked away sad. There was a standard. How often the crowds and the multitudes would walk away from Jesus because they loved the food, but they hated the standard. Can I ask you, have you ever walked away from a church because you loved the food until they established a standard? And do you feel that you would have been with the crowd chasing sustenance but not gaining the character of the one who provided sustenance? These are questions I ask myself frequently. Because it's easy to read the story of the Bible and be like, I would have been like one of the disciples. You probably wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have been. Without the Holy Spirit, I I barely keep to the standards now. And I have the stories. Because the, there's, there's, a, there's a different kind of weight to men and women of God who are living a life worthy of their calling. You know, I love the Bible verse. You, you talk to people, and, you know, the Bible talks about how you get your crowns for all the good you've done, which, because you get stuff for the good you've done. And then when you go to heaven, I've heard so many, I've, I've been in a room where uh, a pastor asked everyone, What are you going to do with those crowns when you get them? And what do you think every person said? I'm going to cast them to the feet of Jesus. That's true. Because the Bible says you will. But do you think that would have been your answer if you knew the Bible, if you didn't know the Bible said that? Because the men and women who were casting their crowns, they don't have a Bible verse saying cast your crowns. Just in the weight of his presence, they recognized the response. Right? There's something about following God in a manner worthy of your calling, following God like imitating Jesus. When the Bible says to to die to yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. The Bible's being literal, not literal in the sense of crucify yourself, but literal in the sense of like, just because you want it doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. Christianity is a very disciplined religion. The disciples, the word disciple means disciplined ones. And so he called 12 disciples whom he disciplined. And he taught, and he built. And discipline isn't just you get a spanking in your room with no timeout, right? With you know, like a timeout. Discipline is. There's a lot more positive to that word than we have nowadays because of the baggage behind that word. But that, that word's very positive. It means like I'm gonna teach you the work that I do. It's like the kind of concept you see when like there's a there's a carpenter working, and and the apprentice is next to him, and and they're making the same thing, but the apprentice comes out so much worse. And the carpenter comes and he, he starts to teach him different forms and he starts to teach him different ways of carrying himself, ways of carrying his blade, ways of moving, ways of chipping, ways of, right, so that he can get the outcome like he had, but you have to stand like he stood, right? Uh, the only, ex- uh, the way I, I know this, I watched my little brother a long time ago, he used to be like in a jujitsu MMA class and how often he would stand a certain way and, and the the, the, Dojo master, what the heck is the word for that sensei teacher would walk up and he would say that he goes, no, don't stand like this, stand like this. He'd make little moves. He'd walk up behind him and he'd kick his feet and do little things like that because he was teaching him to stand a certain way to have the outcome of his life. If you want to fight like I fought, you have to stand like I stand, right? There's a way in a fight to hold your fists and it's not like this or fisticuffs in the movies. It's actually awkward because you're covering your face. With your arms and you're holding it up and it looks goofy, but then watch a UFC fight and everyone's, you know, (laughs) it's not intuitive, but they were taught. So discipline's healthy when you're going to get punched in the face, but someone taught you how to stand. You know what I'm saying? You'll find that when you've disciplined yourself, when situations present themselves, you respond without thinking. I think you'll find whether you're disciplined or not, you'll respond without thinking. That's right. But healthy and appropriate responses come from those who have been disciplined. Remember when, a, remember when I was a kid, um, I, was, I, I came out of my room right as my little brother was walking down the hallway from having a nightmare. And it's really funny because I opened the door right as he was walking down the hallway, and I scared him. And he screamed and started running. And so I ran after him, because for some reason in my brain, I was like, there's a killer in the house. And so he was running to my dad's room, and so I was like, oh, clearly there's a murderer. So I started running to my dad's room. And as I walked in the room, I'll never forget, my dad shot out of bed, already in stance, and took a swing and stopped just before my face. But he trained a lot. And so when the fight or flight moment hit, he was already in the right form moving his body the right way and I ran because I was undisciplined (laughs) right there's a way there's a stance there's a there's a thing and again I want to reiterate before we really start talking for real and say this really intentionally Um, you're allowed to fall short there is a standard but you're you're not going to meet it every time like the pirate codes they're like guidelines Right, And you want to meet them to the best of your ability, but listen, you, you won't. That's why we need Jesus, and that's okay. I think I've had someone talk to me before. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is when you mess up and think like, man, I suck. Conviction is when you mess up, but you have the fire to be better. One's healthy. One's depressing. One creates a happy, joyful, progressive life. And one leads us back to the dumps, back to our depression, back to our vices. You know? And I think so often people will struggle with the difference. And so there's a story I've told a thousand times. And I want to tell the story again. Um, there's a story about a, a, a man. And he would sit and he operates the, the train tracks that cause when a train's coming through and you send them in certain directions, right? And they had a, a, a way about it that if something was wrong and you couldn't shift or you couldn't open up the dam or because he had a lot of stuff he had to do, uh, if you couldn't do it, you light a lantern, you run out, and you wave the lantern. And any train conductor coming down who sees someone on the side waving a train lantern knows there's going to be a crash up ahead if you don't stop now, right? And so it's just a failsafe. You run, you light the lantern, and you wave it, and that that lets them know, oh, dang, I got to stop because for some reason the gears aren't working right, and this guy, I'm going to go into a wall. I'm going to go into whatever it is, Um, and there's the the way the story goes is the man uh, gets distracted um, and he hears the train coming too late. He can't go shift the gears in time. So he, he grabs the lantern and he starts to wave it. And they, the lantern goes unheeded and the train crashes. And when the train crashes, every single person on board of that train passed away. And when something that great happens, there's a court case, there's an investigation. And so when this man was before the judge, the judge asked him, did you wave the lantern and warn these people? And he said, yes, I did. But he started to tear up. And he said, the judge looked at him because it was clear that he was lying. And he looks at him and he says, did you wave the lantern and warn them? He says, yes, I did, a little less confident and a little more scared. The judge asks one more time, did you wave the lantern to warn people there was an accident impending, that they were going to die? He says, yes, in a whispered, broken tone. And since they can't prove that he did anything wrong, he gets to walk free. And later on in his life, he would admit to a friend that, yeah, I waved the lantern, but everything was so last second I didn't have time to light it. So I waved the lantern, but there was no light. And I've always described the difference between legalism and living a right with God just like that story because the action's the same. I'm waving the lantern exactly like everyone else, but there's no light inside. See, here's the thing. Living a life worthy of your calling, you can do it without Jesus. It's just not healthy. It's just not helpful because God cares more for the inner man than the outer man. And that's why well before we care about disciplines in church, we care about your personal relationship with Jesus. It's like, look, if someone's wrestling with porn addiction, if someone's cheating on their spouse, like these are things we want to deal with, want to walk with people. But realistically, I know that you're probably wrestling in your secret place. You probably don't have a good secret place. You probably aren't studying your scriptures which the Bible says will actually reproof you and strengthen you. Probably not studying, renewing your mind. It's probably the little disciplines that are causing grand meltdowns in your life. So when the Bible says a life worthy of your calling, it actually is. Man, when I first found Jesus, 19 years old, I fell so madly in love with him, I came to a conclusion. I was supposed to go to college. I was supposed to get a career. I was supposed to do all those things. I had people offering to pay for my college, offering jobs, opportunities. But when I fell in love with Jesus, I came to the conclusion, because of God's calling on my life, that if I did anything as a job besides further the gospel, it would be a waste of my life. I'm not saying that for you. I'm saying that for me because some of you really are called to certain careers and certain jobs that I'm just not. But I had a conviction in my heart. And so when I came early to the conclusion that God was calling me to pastor, I knew I didn't have the character, the understanding of the Bible, or the wisdom to live that calling. And so every day I worked towards it. For for 10 years, I, I worked towards living a manner worthy of the calling that I knew I was called to. I had friends that surrounded me, and we would actually look at each other, and when one of us weren't living up to the standard that we knew God had for us, literally, we'd shout it. we'd say, hey, Ephesians 4, so we'd say to each other, that's why it's one of my life verses, because it's like, that's the verse, whenever I'd stumble, whenever I'd go off and do something stupid, whenever I'd cuss, or whenever I'd, you know, again, like little things, but I wanted to live a disciplined life, and I had friends who were on the exact same path as me, including Pastor Thomas, was one of the people shouting Ephesians 4 at me, and I shouted it back, and we headbutt, and we argued, and we had kick and scream, and man, sometimes the friendship got tested, but there was a standard we were unwilling to walk away from, and it's because of verses like this, look, you won't trip into your, your calling, You really won't. The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. You will not just trip into your calling. Just because you're called doesn't mean you will walk in it. It does not mean you'll grab it by the horns and eventually receive it. And so with Christianity, it's a tricky struggle because you're not supposed to make your calling happen. But you're not supposed to just sit back and be like, it'll happen when it happens. I think that the healthiest way I can see it is you live life like you already are there. But then you don't force your position. You let the door open. Does that make sense? I never begged to be a pastor. I never asked to be a pastor. I just pastored because I knew my call. Well before I knew my call as a pastor, though, I had to learn my call as a child of God. And there's a way to live your life worthy of that as well. Children go to dad when they mess up. They don't run away. So when you sin fall to your knees, don't wait a little bit and then decide that you've done enough for God to be okay with you, right? A.W. Tozer, which, if you don't know who that is, like, read every book he's ever written. Dude was a fireball. Not a theologian, but a passionate follower of Jesus. And A.W. Tozer's a really good quote. Actually, if you go to my Instagram and go to the bottom, it's like the fourth or fifth post I ever posted ever. Um, And it's a quote from A.W. Tozer, and it's this one. It says, uh, there are rare Christians whose very presence incites others to be better Christians. I want to be that rare Christian. Christianity, it's, it's not passive. It's, it's also, it's not very quiet. It's intentional. Again, listen, I, I can't say this enough because I feel like when you have conversations, there's, a, there's like a, a, a ball that goes up. Like, If you fall short, God's he's not mad at you. This isn't a heaven or hell conversation. It's a will you be effective for him here conversation. And that's what Ephesians 4 is actually all about. The conversation shift from theology to living right now. Right? Getting mentors and leaders to pour into you. Getting to know your brothers and sisters. Sacrificing of yourself to serve something bigger. These are how you walk in your calling. But also waking up in the morning and praying. Being imitators of Christ. Go read the things Jesus did. It'll blow your mind. We love the loving Jesus. We love the happy Jesus. We love the healing Jesus. But he disciplined. He called Peter Satan. When Jesus calls Peter Satan, it's a theological conundrum. When I do it, I'm a jerk. You know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. But it's like, there's 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 a lot more to Jesus than he's been getting credit for in modern no churches. First Corinthians fifteen ten. This is actually my life verse. Uh, says by the grace of God I am what I am, and not his grace. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Can I pause? Uh, when I started getting put into situations very young that men in their 30s and 40s were vying for, this verse was something that I held dearly in my heart. It was like, if God is just going to put me in places, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to study my scripture so I know what I'm talking about. Because I knew where I wanted to go, and I saw that God was making a way. And what I love about this is, look, this is where grace actually meets works. Because, guys, grace without works is dead. Grace saves you. It saves you. It absolutely does. But if works never come, the grace never did either. I promise. But I love this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. Why was his grace towards him not in vain? Because when God poured grace, I worked. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. But I love that. I worked. I studied. I went. Out, I evangelized. This is, this is Paul. I I got whipped, I got stoned, I left my home, I left everything to follow the gospel and the direction that God had given me. And yet even amongst all that work, all that sacrifice, I love the ending, but it was not I, But it was the grace of God that was in me. Our works, our disciplines, it actually funnels God's grace. So look at it, you can almost see it. The grace of God is raining down on Paul, right? But he's working harder and he's able to do it by the grace of God. It's almost like he's taking that grace and through discipline, he's funneling it to preach that grace to others. Yeah. And it's, it's a healthy and it's a wholesome thing. But again, when we get to that side, it's like how many people on a Sunday when we open up the mic will hop up and give prophecies, but then won't show up on a Wednesday to learn theology. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is such a big deal. And again, just because you show up, do something on Sunday and not on Wednesday doesn't mean you're not studying. I'm not, not saying that. But it, again, the concept is there, right? This, this general thing that we, we vie for certain recognizable positions, but there's a lot of back-end work. Why did Deacon Chad, Chad become a deacon? Because I saw him working. Same with Deacon Dante. That's why they became deacons. Pastor Thomas... Pastor Eric, Pastor John, they didn't become pastors when they got the position. Sure, they've gotten more disciplined as they've walked in it, because that's just a part of the growing process. But it wasn't like, I think you might be a good pastor someday. We'll pray you in. It's, you are a great pastor. We need you. Huge difference. Hebrews 11.38. This is how I'm going to kind of close out. This is another one of my verses, like personal verses that really speaks to me. Um, If you've read Hebrews 11, they call it the hall of faith, right? And it's just breaking down all these people who made big sacrifices. My favorite one is actually Abraham's because like Abraham received a promise that he never actually walked in, a promise that his children would eventually walk in. And it literally says that by faith, he saw it. And so God called him righteous. But I love that at the end of all of this, I love this. And it says, and the world was not worthy of them. But they were wandering about in deserts, in mountains, and in dens, and in caves of the earth. I've always been convicted by that verse of living a life where what would God actually say about me? That the world was not worthy of me. That I lived so holy and so set apart for God that when the end came, For one, like C.S. Lewis said, all of hell rejoiced. And for two, like the writer of Hebrews said, that the world was not worthy. Could there be this conundrum where God brings me in and says, the world wasn't worthy of you and hell is celebrating because the world was not worthy of us? Listen to me. That verse is attached to men and women who made big sacrifices for God. They didn't live a comfortable life and sprinkle Jesus on top like like a salt, like a... A spice to spice up the life that they already had. These are people that dumped the porridge and started building, started cooking something new. I just really ran with this analogy. Uh, They just started cooking something new. God, what do you want this to be? Right? Um, But as I close 10 minutes ago... um, I want to end by going back. And so, again, I just literally, it's not a big bad. I was just really feeling that God is speaking a lot through Ephesians to our church. And I think a lot of what he's speaking is, I've said it in the beginning of our 30-year anniversary, but a lot of kids are screaming, so it might have been easy to miss, is that uh, I really think this year there's going to be a distinct focus on spiritual maturity. You know? That it's not, I'm vying for... Some kind of calling or position but Then I'm, I'm just building maturity in the Lord. I'm just imitating God. And God is mature, you know. It's like that concept of being imitators of God, like literally it goes so far as to say, if you do something, it's like, would Jesus have done this? Yeah. There is a, a, a crossing point in your walk where you decide to step over that line. And it's not that back here was sinful. It's just not as effective. And I think with Ephesians 4, that's what the conversation is. It is honestly more of what we would call in modern America a leadership conversation. But that's because we had the luxury to rest. In other parts of the world, it would be a conversation about lukewarm. Remember, uh, I watched a, a a theologian. He posted this verse a while ago. And he said, he talked about kind of this this thing. And uh, he was like, living a life for God means making sacrifices today uh, for a holier tomorrow. And someone in the comment section said, get the F word out of here with this legalistic S word. It's like, that is... Unfortunately, a heavily liked response. He got ratioed, where that comment was more liked than the actual post, which means I think churches and pastors have fundamentally failed because the post was correct. And the response was ungodly. And yet, I think the world has been so hurt by church that anytime someone sticks it to the man, people celebrate. It's not healthy, and it's not living a life worthy of our calling. We are called to work together, and leaders are called to be leaders. Theologians are called to be theologians. Prophets are called to be prophets. People who heal are called to be healers. People who work in the business world and bring finances in, they're called to be that. But everyone has to respect someone else's position. I don't think we do. I think um, pastors and prophets mostly exist to take care of church people. And I think evangelists and apostles mostly exist to bring unchurched people into the church. And so what you find is it almost seems like prophets and pastors and apostles and evangelists, like those, you never have church with everyone. This is either a highly evangelistic church or a highly discipleship church it's because we never learn to operate with our gifts and respect them. And it's something that weighs on my heart a lot. Of like, we need to respect each other in our callings, but we all have a certain calling we have to live towards. Dear Lord in heaven, I, I just pray for every person in the room. I, got, I just I pray that we would take you seriously. That God, that. Maybe a heavier message like this, I pray that it would be heard in the heart that it was given. That as a general rule, God, we we like to focus on your goodness and your love and your kindness. But Lord, we know that your kindness leads us to repentance. And repentant people live different. So God, I just pray for every person in this room. Uh, For one if there's anyone feeling condemnation in the face of these words, God, I pray that you would help a mindset to just hear what your, what your word was speaking in saying, living a life worthy of our calling. By the grace of God, we are what we are. The world might not be worthy of us. But I pray that condemnation would melt, but there would be conviction. I just pray for every person in this room. And maybe for a healthy moment, to look at some of the bad habits and bad disciplines in our life that are producing a bad lifestyle, an uncomfortable lifestyle, a lifestyle of depression, of feeling inadequate, of loneliness. But That, God, you would bring healing. And God, like, like Paul wrote that, like these earthen vessels that we are, are so fragile, so broken, and yet you filled us with your Holy Spirit. I just pray that you would guide us to bigger things. That, as you said when you were here on earth, Jesus, you said from grace to grace or glory to glory. That we'd actually live that. That our our prayer lives would be something that we we would seek. That a healthy studying of your word or just reading your word, that a God prayer wouldn't be relegated to a, a lonely drive to work, but we'd actually make time for you. That like Ephesians 5 says, that we would actually be imitators of you, God. I pray that we would would be imitators of you with joy and zeal and gladness. Not compulsion, condemnation. That God, we'd follow you and we'd live for you with the light inside. Not dimmed or dark that we wouldn't be waving an unlit lantern, God, but we would wave something lit. And in Jesus' name I say, amen. amen. Um, next week, we're doing the baby dedications.